Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. August is almost halfway done and college students are packing up their suitcases and headed to campus before classes start. If you're a returning college student, you probably know your way around the move-in process and you aren't too nervous about finding your classrooms this semester. But if you're a freshman, everything is brand new. I remember my first day of college back in 2013. I visited campus weeks before classes started and I walked around the entire campus multiple times memorizing my classes so that I didn't get lost on the first day. College can be exciting and nerve-wracking all at the same time. If you're headed onto campus for the first time here in the next few weeks, this episode is for you. In a letter to the woman starting her freshman year of college, we're going to be talking about the beauties and challenges of college. We'll give tips and hints for how to navigate friendships, relationships, and your prayer life. This is an episode that I wish I would have heard back in 2013, so I cannot wait to share it with you. Enjoy! We are welcoming to the podcast today, Carolyn Shields. Carolyn writes over at The Young Catholic Woman at theyoungcatholicwoman.com. This is a website that I have found to be absolutely beautiful, not only just really aesthetically gorgeous, but also the messages are incredibly timely um, when it comes to living out Catholic femininity in our daily world, in our, in our culture today. Um, we're going to be talking to her specifically today about one article, um, Welcome to College, an article that I wish I would have found when I was in college. Um, thankfully, I just, I've run it across it and want to share it with you listeners. So welcome to the show, Carolyn. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. For those who haven't been able to encounter you through your writing, through your website, can you just tell us a little bit about what you're passionate about, your story as a Catholic woman? Yeah, sure. Um, so I was born into a very beautiful Catholic family um, in a small town and. I only say this because um, only Catholics are familiar with the town of Emmitsburg, Maryland, if they've ever heard of it. Um, <laughs> it has about like seven different shrines. Um, it has a huge pilgrimage site. Um, Our Lady of Lourdes, uh, first-born American saint, was born in my hometown. So wow. very blessed with where I lived and with my family. Yeah, writing has always been a huge passion of mine, and it wasn't really until college when um, I kind of realized that after journaling since third grade, just about every day, that. Um, a lot of things that I was learning was applicable to other women, and um, it was just time for me to start sharing my writing publicly, and it was beautiful to kind of see, like, this community uh, be born from the Catholic woman and people feeling less alone through either things that I've written or the majority coming from other women and women who just take advantage of the platform that we have to um, share their words of truth that they've learned from experiences as well. So mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Um, in this piece that you write on college, you talk about different places that you're able to visit, different things you're able to learn through those trips. So the majority of the podcast will spend just unpacking those lessons that you've learned from different um, places that you visited. But can you just tell us a little bit for a background about your college experience? How did you discern what college to go to? What did that experience look like for you? Yeah, so I was super lucky. (laughs) Um, I remember in high school seeing a ton of my friends um, apply to all these different places, whereas I always knew that I was going to either community college for a couple years mm-hmm. um, or just directly to my local university, Mount St. Mary's University, um, which is in my hometown. And I joke that I'm probably the only person ever who has gone to a university closer to her home than her high school was. Um, <laughs> and my mom, which helped um, work at Mount St. Mary's, my dad, it was kind of like a family university. My siblings have all gone there. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like I have such a love for my home. Um, and the discernment process was pretty easy. I was one of those early applicants, knew I was going there by December. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, thank God I did because 
those years were so formative in my faith life, um, despite having like a tight Catholic family and um, my community uh, being pretty much raised from Catholicism. Um, it was still not until my college years when I really began to take my faith more seriously and did more than, you know, just the usual Sunday mass or the occasional family nighttime prayers and just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's so true. Like when you're in college, you have to kind of take those steps to yourself and commit yourself to your faith without having your parents or your family or necessarily even your community kind of feeding it to you in a lovingly way. Mm-hmm. Did you live on college campus during that time or did you stay at home? What did that look like for you? Um, so my first two years, I walked to the school from my home. That's fantastic. Um, which is kind of awesome because having a home close to campus kind of became like a cool like off-campus spot where I would have a ton of friends over <laughs> for bonfires and parties. Um, and it was great, too, because during my high school years, I was just one of those people who hated high school, um, just kind of struggled because I went to Catholic grade school uh, for nine years. Then I went to a public high school mm-hmm. and just really like rocky couple of years. Um, uh, my dad was in Iraq when I first started high school. Wow. So, um, yeah, just kind of like going to this new little world, um, being exposed to like real life, so to speak. Um, and in all honesty, I was picked on a lot for being really shy and quiet. And mm. I was kind of pegged as that religious girl. And it wasn't until college when I kind of became exposed to this awesome community of people striving to live by the Catholic faith and, um, yeah, that I felt like I was really coming into my own. Um, so I went from one experience in high school and I just really struggled to make it through and came out with maybe like two or three friends to college where by owning like my faith and owning like who I was and not being ashamed of being a quiet person and, um, telling myself and like, I don't know, it's fine to be a quieter, like having a quieter demeanor. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that authenticity is really attractive to people and um, made a ton of friends in college. And again, like the house close to home helped (laughs) having bonfires and stuff. But so it's a long answer. Um, First two years, I commuted to the university. Then I went to Dublin uh, for one semester. And after that experience, I was like, yeah, that freedom that comes from being on your own um, is not only attractive, but I think it's necessary for a lot of people. So I ended up moving on to campus my final year. Very good. Yeah, this is really similar to my college experience, which is so neat to hear from yours. I went to a, a university in my hometown as well, kind of the same thing, family university. My mm-hmm. my uh, siblings have gone there. My parents spent some time there um, and my mom graduated from there. So it's really neat. And I, I spent a lot of time at home um, and stayed yeah. there until my senior year. So yeah, absolutely beautiful. Oh, that's so good. Um, let's talk about that semester that you spent in Dublin. So I think a lot of the times we put a lot of pressure on 18 year olds to kind of have their life figured out. Like, Oh, what are you majoring in? What's your life going to look like? What's your life look like after college? Sometimes before they even make it on the the campus as a freshman. Um, when you studied in Dublin during your sophomore year of college, what did you learn about this idea of not having to have it all together? Yeah, it's actually something, um, that I face every day still. My full-time work is as a campus minister at Mm -hmm. the university of Pennsylvania. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I love how you brought this up because literally last night I was reading um, from In the School of the Holy Spirit by Doc yeah. Philippe, yes. who um, he had a huge, huge like impact on my face throughout my college years. Um, if there's one book that I could recommend, it's like Anything by Doc Philippe. Yep. Um, literally last night he wrote something um, saying, like, to off-quote him or whatever the phrase is, how <laughs> a lot of times we demand more of ourselves 
um, than God is demanding of us. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, shoot. <laughs> um, and then he goes on to say that God calls us to perfection, but not his perfection. Or he is not a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. So God calls us to perfection, but he is not a perfectionist. Um, and I'll talk about my time in Dublin and kind of learning this as a college student, but just now even, um, Penn is such an intense school and I love the students that I minister to, um, but it's an Ivy League, which I didn't know when I interviewed for the job. I didn't totally do my research, <laughs> um, but I see it all the time in my students um, at Penn, just this overwhelming sense of like having to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And one of my students even phrased it as, even if like you're partying, you have to be like the best at it. Or even if you're failing, you have to sound like you're the best at it. Mm. Um, and this whole like thing has even developed a term called pen face, where it's this act of like pretending that you kind of have it all together, that life is going perfectly, where in reality, you're starting to like crack under the pressure. Um, and like you've seen it like reflected in the news, how um, not to get heavy super quickly, but just how suicide is becoming such an issue at yep. Penn and other universities that have high levels of academic pressure because students have this kind of bar set so high that they're striving for it. Um, and sometimes they're like the head of their classes or their high schools all around the country or even the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come to Penn and everyone's kind of on the same playing field and they're looking around and they're thinking, shoot, like I'm not the top of my class anymore. Yep. So I know Penn is an extreme example, but in Dublin specifically, uh, for me, me too, I'm also a perfectionist. Um, <laughs> I remember being shocked when my pastor like called me out on it. So I was like, what? No way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for Dublin, um, it was really beautiful. Uh, I was there my sophomore year for one semester. Um, and it was just such a time when like, you know, you have all this freedom and, um, I don't know, like, I felt like being a writer, mm-hmm. I was like, man, it's like I'm writing my ideal life and like I'm living it where um, I'm traveling to different countries every other weekend, mm-hmm. literally, and like yeah. spending time in castles and I'm with my best friends and I was falling in love with one of my good friends at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, by the end of that experience, mainly because of this relationship with this guy, I kind of hit a wall where I realized, shoot, like I'm not the author of my life. Yeah, And it took a lot of humility to kind of realize that, um, yeah, that God has to ultimately like take the pen um, and like you have to like let God lead your life. So in a more like concrete imagery um, where I can paint this a little bit more clear maybe is of the shepherd. Mm -hmm. So just as I was struggling to like kind of take control of my own life um, in the midst of all of this freedom, um, similarly, I think a lot of times we think that we can be like the shepherd to our own lives. Yep. Uh, whereas in reality, no, we're meant to be the sheep, which is beautiful and it takes pressure off of ourselves. Um, so to give you like an image, um, I loved going to daily mass in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are two moments, uh, in particular during the mass that kind of like helped me to come to like this realization about being just simply a sheep. Uh, the one is, I feel like in American masses, um, so often we have our responses and we kind of sound like robots without realizing it. Mm-hmm. So one example of that is um, like the, the priest says, 
the Lord be with you. And all of us together say, and with your spirit. Whereas in Dublin, everyone kind of like had their own tempo. Um, they were going at their own pace. <laughs> but it was kind of like unifying at the same time. And it like made you like stop and actually think about what you're saying or else you're like lost. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the second more powerful striking image for me was during communion. Um, again, like in most American Catholic masses, like during communion, you file two nice straight lines and <laughs> pew by pew, like you go up there and if someone cuts you off, like you have to go to confession before you can even <laughs> receive the Eucharist because you're cursing them. <laughs> Whereas in Dublin, um, it was kind of like a free for all. So when it was time for communion, people just came and like flocked up to the altar and they mm. surrounded it. And the priest would kind of like go around and like um, hand out the Eucharist to each person. And mm-hmm. it kind of made it more intimate, but it was such a powerful image of like sheep flocking yeah. to the shepherd. Yeah. And it's just kind of like how it ties into like that whole perfection thing is like, man, we're striving to be something. I think that God's not even asking us a lot of times. And yes, we're supposed to like, you know, Matthew five forty eight or something says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Mm-hmm. But it's like his perfection. It's not like what we think of as right. perfection. Right. Yeah, that's such a good point. I remember being college. Again, this is like resonating with me so much because this is my experience as well. Me too. Um, mm-hmm. I was very much a perfectionist in, in high school. Very prideful perfectionist too. I was very aware of how, how perf- much of a perfectionist I was. Um, and I remember mm-hmm. my second year of college, my sophomore year, I went to a retreat that I had avoided my freshman year because I didn't want to be vulnerable. Um, And at the end of the retreat, it comes to this point where you sit in a circle, you pass a candle that has been lit the whole retreat, and you just share your experience. What was one thing that God spoke into your heart on this retreat? By the time the candle got to me, the only thing that really came to mind that I knew that I needed to share was like, it is okay for me not to have it together. Um, And I remember so many beautiful witnesses of my faith standing up and giving witnesses during that retreat and people who I totally had on a pedestal of totally like, oh my gosh, they ha- if there's anyone who has it together, it is them. Um, and just for them sharing like the broken parts of their story and realizing that I didn't have to have it together. And that was so freeing um, when it came to like living my faith life out and knowing that, like you said, like Jesus does not expect us to be the same perfect in some ways as we hold ourselves to the standard of perfection. Like we are striving towards sainthood and we're not going to reach that perfection in some ways until um, we reach yeah. the father in heaven, which is such a, like, like you said, it's like a weight off your shoulder. Like you don't have to have it all together. And I, yeah, it's a, it's a lesson that I wish that I would have learned a lot earlier in college than I did. So yeah, that's so yeah. beautiful. When it comes to evangelizing your faith life as a college student, it, kind of can, it can be very intimidating, um, whether it's on a Catholic campus or a non-Catholic campus. Um, you spent time in China as a college student, and you literally prayed with the underground church. This story is absolutely beautiful. Um, what was that experience like for you? And what did that experience of praying with members of the church who could be killed for their faith teach you about your own faith life and your own call to live out this faith in a country that doesn't persecute your religious beliefs? So in a word, powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, which shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> um, powerful, powerful experience in China. Um, and I think, yeah, I was reflecting on this earlier, um, how in China, obviously, it's a little bit more vivid how Christians are persecuted over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think at the same time, like, Christianity is still persecuted to some degree um, in America as well. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more subdued or reading Bishop Barron's book the other day, To Light a Fire um, on the Earth. And he had a quote, which I think was um, pretty spot on, where he said, American Catholics today have to cope with an elite snobbery that says religion is backward, benighted, superstitious, and dangerous because of the primitive hatreds and prejudices it unleashes. 
Uh, they have to live in a culture that tries to force them in a thousand ways to separate their minds from their hearts. I think one thing that we forget that often goes hand in hand with persecution is the humiliation um, that we might fear. And I think it's supernatural or safe to say um, that so many people fear humiliation almost more than persecution. Yeah. And I could be totally wrong about that, but you think about the crucifixion. Um, and I think a lot of times we forget like how humility, humiliating um, all of that was. So again, I just kind of see it like reflected in my students like this um, as like a campus minister, like encouraging them to go out onto campus and evangelize others. But mm-hmm. it's less so, um, I think, persecution that they fear and more so like that, not humiliation that comes with it, but um, the fear of like their beliefs being misinterpreted. So to address your question um, in China and specifically, uh, yeah, so I spent time there as a junior in college um, just for a couple of weeks, I think maybe two weeks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent time with young Chinese missionaries who were in their early 20s and their whole goal, goal was to kind of uh, be formed in the face to then go out and influence their peers. Um, in China. So foreign missionaries are illegal, um, but it's not illegal to be Catholic in China. Um, But what is illegal is when you start like um, saying things against the government. So obviously communism and the Catholic faith like butt heads a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where we see or saw a lot of our friends face uh, potential persecution was when they would put their faith before the government. And I just have uh, a vivid memory um, of walking along with one of the young Chinese missionaries and asking her um, what would happen like if she put her face before the government and she like struggled to think of like the word in English so she pulled out her translation app and she typed it in and she showed us her phone and it said the word death oh. um, and then we talked with another Chinese missionary um, who also explained that the way that they deal with people who um, express like their zeal for Catholicism a little bit too much um, is they usually take them out into the country and they put them under house arrest. And I'm using air quotes because uh, he explained that what that kind of means is, you know, it's a secluded hotel and they wouldn't uh, feed that missionary or that Catholic person um, and they would eventually starve to death. So it's kind of like a form of execution. Yeah. So, um, in terms of evangelizing, two huge things that I took away from that trip. The one was how seeing this vibrant community of young people um, so in love with the faith, if that can thrive and literally underground, mm-hmm. then the faith can flourish anywhere. Right. Um, without a doubt. They, there's that quote that comes to mind, and Jesus is with Peter, and he's talking about the church and how like the gates of hell will not overcome it. Yeah, yeah, they won't prevail against the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just powerful. Um, and to see, like, the church, like, so, like, embodied and alive in these group of people who are willing to risk everything for mm-hmm. their faith um, was massively powerful and inspirational. Um, the second quick thing that I learned as well, and probably my main takeaway from the entire trip, was how someone is always watching. Yeah. Um, obviously, in China, it's like, you know, paranoia uh, that our missionaries had to live with where to give an example one time we were talking about Saul and we asked the missionaries to reflect on a time when they felt persecuted because as we know Saul um, 
possibly like one of the greatest converts to the faith, um, but he once persecuted Christians himself. So we asked him to reflect on someone, and someone said the name was some Chinese government official, and one of the Chinese students stood up immediately, ran to the window, closed it, and like peeked out the blinds to make sure no one was watching Mm -hmm. or hearing. And obviously we don't have this in America, praise God. Right. Um, But I think it only speaks to the truth that like, man, even when you don't think someone is watching, like your actions or what you say, they are. Um, And what I mean by that is more so like, man, don't be afraid to like hide your face. Like if you wear a miraculous medal, someone's going to like notice it and Mm -hmm. like maybe even ask you about it. And that's a little way into like sharing your faith or your roommate is going to notice you going to mass every early Sunday morning. And I think more than anything, the fruits that come from practicing a life of virtue in college is going to be visible. And I think a lot of times those fruits are way more visible to others than they are to yourself. Very much so. Yeah, it's, it's easy to think that you're not being watched. No one sees what you're doing. But just the reality of, yeah, you're surrounded by people who are taking notice of your actions. And sometimes, yeah, our actions speak much louder than our words. And I think, too, that it can't be understated about that, like, peer-to-peer influence. Like, yes. Um, I so often emphasize to my students that, yeah, I might come in contact with a ton of, like, students at Penn, but really, ultimately, I think the biggest influence is amongst peers. And, like, you see it in, like, social media. Mm-hmm. You see it, um, I don't know, all throughout our culture. Like, it is powerful. Like, they have a strong voice and... So we're talking about like being surrounded by people on a campus, um, the fact that people are watching our actions and that our life is a witness to Christ. But even even when we're surrounded by other people during college and you can be surrounded by people anywhere in a class, in the union, at your dorms, we can although sometimes be left feeling like we're alone. So can you speak into your experience about how a summer trip in Uganda um, taught you about the fact that we, we aren't alone? Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. I think mm-hmm. uh, so often we see at least as a campus minister at Penn, like you come into a different culture and you're suddenly not with your family anymore or the friends that you've known for years or your community and you're left kind of feeling totally isolated. Even if you're constantly surrounded by people, even if there's 20 people living in your hallway, there's so often this like overcoming sense of like isolation. This feeling of like being alone and feeling isolated Mm -hmm. um, is so often something that the devil kind of like feeds us. Uh, If you look to creation, um, you know, at the end of each day, God keeps saying, um, like, God made, like, the earth, and it was good, and God made the sky, and it was good. And again and again, he, like, affirms all this goodness in creation until the first time he says this is not good is when he sees that Adam was alone. Like, he saw loneliness, and he's like, no, like, Mm -hmm. that's not good. And I think what's beautiful is that's why a woman was created, was to kind of feel this ache. Um, to fill this like need to like for accompaniment yeah for me personally I've always been someone who's been like, comfortable being alone my mm-hmm. mom used to joke that she would give me sticks as like a little kid and she would send me <laughs> off to like go play and I would entertain myself for hours <laughs> but it wasn't really until um, I went on this trip to Uganda where I was in like a rocky place in my life it was right after I graduated from college and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure where God was calling me who God was calling me to be with and because of my writings with a young Catholic woman, um, I was kind of invited to speak at a conference in Uganda. One thing led to another, and I was h- hanging out there <laughs> for like a month. <laughs> and 
Yeah, I was literally in the middle of nowhere. I think I was the only white person or Mzungu, they called you, who had visited this village in years. Mm-hmm. And a few people spoke English, but even if they spoke English, like it was communicating what was like mind-boggling because I would, I don't know, they would come up to me and ask me if there were lines in America or what a dishwasher was. And it was still like this massive like miscommunication. So uh-huh. I found myself like in this country totally by myself. It was powerful too because I literally had like nothing to do but spend hours watching the sunset each afternoon and then watching the stars come out. And stargazing is such like a way, such a strong form of prayer for me that um, I think God knew it and he just kind of called me to Africa for this intimate time with him where I could not have been more alone ever in my life as I was during those couple weeks in Uganda, but at the same time, that intimacy with Christ was so profound. And to this day, like, I praise God that, like, as people come and go, like, in my life or um, living, like, in Philadelphia now, like, by myself and still, like, two years in, like, trying to figure life out, that knowing that God will never leave me alone, um, that He will always remain is um, something I think we all have to, like, really reflect on that no matter how alone we feel like that's a lie straight up from the devil mm-hmm. and even if we're the only person like miles around with just god like he is enough yeah yeah he's still present yeah even when it feels like he's hiding amen that's beautiful in my junior year of college i went on a trip to big bend national park in texas and that was the first time that i'd really seen the sky um, without all the mm-hmm. light pollution it's absolutely beautiful and it is incredible how much that like draws you upward Uh, and just puts you in a place where you're realizing I'm so small Lord like even moments where you know I feel like I'm alone like I'm just I'm very small and you're you're larger than life and and you've got me yeah the starry sky is absolutely beautiful way to pray Um, so so far we talked about the trips that you've taken that required a passport you also read about your experience about moving to Philadelphia uh, which is where you're at currently you I love how you share the story you're you went to a small college in your hometown can you talk about what living in a big city teaches you about your faith life yeah, I learned a lot since we moved to Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote like a whole list one time about like, I don't know, learning what a block was. <laughs> or like learning public transportation and whatever. But, um, it's a whole new ball game. Like I remember the first time I went to a big city and used public transportation. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so different. <laughs> I didn't realize how much of a small town girl I was until I moved to Philly. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I grew up like, uh, in Emmitsburg, Maryland, which is right on the Mason-Dixon line and uh, a small town type family. So when I felt the Lord call me to Philadelphia for this job as a campus minister at an Ivy League school, it made absolutely no sense. Um, but without like a doubt, like I felt like God's stirring me to come here. I say it was kind of the result of the most powerful prayer is whatever, Lord. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, and that sure. kind of came from post-Uganda, like I came out of my whole Uganda experience kind of open to whatever God had planned for me. So at the time I was praying, man, whatever God, amen, but like meaning it. Yeah. And, you know, within like a couple weeks, I got a call from Philly, moved up here within two weeks. Um, And I definitely struggled that first year because I was in such an environment, like in every way possible that I felt totally out of my element. You know, I didn't study theology. Like I can't like cite like the catechism, Mm -hmm. totally small town definitely shy and still quiet although like I own that now and I love that about myself that I'm not one of those people constantly seeking the center of attention um 
But that first year, definitely asking God, like, man, why the heck am I here? Because <laughs> none, like, nothing made sense. Like, I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. But it was actually, like, I probably a solid year into it when I realized, that I was like, man, Caroline, like, you're here precisely because you feel like you don't fit in. Like, because yeah. you're needed. Because there's more than enough people who know, like, the facts. And there's more than enough people who are excellent at public speaking. And there's more than enough people, um, staff members that I work with who can, I don't know, quote the Bible verse by verse or like whatever. Mm -hmm. But only I can offer certain things like small town mentality of like that warm kinship that like is fostered in in a small town. And only I can offer um, that road to like beauty towards Christ. Whereas, you know, the people I work with have like the truth down um and i think especially when you're starting out for college and you might be like doubting why the lord called you there um especially if you don't feel like you fit in just take a second and step back and think well what do i have to offer because without a doubt i believe that you have something that only you can offer and there's only one you and i know that sounds like slightly cheesy and maybe it's overused but i don't think i don't know it can be said enough Mm -hmm. where like only you can offer certain things especially in those moments when you feel like you don't fit in like for, yeah for such a time as this like that's why you're why you've been called there that's beautiful i love that heck that's a good lesson for after college that's something that i need to hear <laughs> <laughs> lifelong learning <laughs> for listeners who are getting ready to head off to college for their first year what advice would you give them as they start out on this new adventure i think there's like a billion books out there that cover like all the practicals, like know how to do your laundry, mm-hmm. <laughs> make sure you call your mom and dad <laughs> and all these things. But one of the things I think I learned my freshman year probably, and it's worth sharing is kind of being true to yourself and just being authentic. Like I think there's a cliche phrase where it's like, ah, oh, you're starting college and you know, you can be anyone. Like no one knows who you were like in high school and right. all this stuff. And it does kind of stir up excitement and there's definitely some truth in that. But I think what it really comes down to is just like not building like a new you. It's just kind of like, man, be you and like mm-hmm. be like proud of it. Yes. Um, be like authentic, like own your quirks, own like the little things that like are unique about you. And people are going to like find that attractive and people are going to be drawn to that. And at least for me, I remember seeing the senior guys, all of whom I probably had crushes on at some point. (laughs) Um, And just like seeing them. And again, like as a shy, quiet person, like I study people, like I always sit in the back of the chapel or in class or whatever. And I would watch these guys and it's like, man, what do they have that like makes them seem like very confident or like at ease with themselves? Mm -hmm. Obviously, like everyone struggles with something, but from like exteriorly from like observing them i think what i learned was and they just like are comfortable with who they are like they seem to know who they are and they're not afraid to like have that like their awkward tendencies come out or like they're not ashamed of loving biking books like i did in high school (laughs) (laughs) um yeah be authentic you in that way um and i think this is like applies to like so many things in life whether it's a relationship or like a job interview or anything at the end of the day like you can go to sleep knowing that like you were true to yourself like the worst thing i think that can happen is like a relationship doesn't work out and then you look back and you're like well shoot maybe if i was more myself or 
if you go into a job interview and you're like, well, shoot, maybe if I was honest about who I really am, they would have hired me. So always, 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 no matter what, be authentic. I love this. You've mentioned this through your story too. It's it's relevant in mind, just this being more comfortable with being an introvert. I remember my first year of college looking around and seeing, oh, well, the people who are popular and the people who have a lot of friends, at least in my range of friendships, were people who were extroverted or people who um, were easily comfortable in a crowd, were recharging around other people. And I was the opposite. And so for that first couple months in college, I was forcing myself to be someone that I wasn't in this hope and attempt that someone, you know, oh, maybe people will like me here. And it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't until I accepted the fact that I was an introvert um, and lived that in, in a radically more alive way that I did meet people who were friends and who loved me for me. Um, didn't expect me to be an extrovert or, you know, recharge around other people. So yeah, that authenticity, oh my gosh, yeah, that cannot be stressed enough. That's beautiful. So you have graduated from college and you're now working as a campus minister. From both of those experiences, both your ministry to students now, but also your time as a student, can you speak into how friends and family members of new college students can just come alongside them and encourage them during this season of life? You can never do it enough. Mm -hmm. Amen. yeah, these four years are such a unique time in a person's life. It's so intense. I remember talking about this in college, like, man, like you cram like an all-nighter for an exam, and then poof, it's gone. Yep. And then like you do it again, like the next week. Um, and on top of that, like you're learning what it means to be an adult, and you're um, making like big life decisions about like what you want to study and drop $100,000 on or whatever right. it is. You're uh, figuring out, like, your career. You're discerning your vocation. And it's a really intense four years. Um, and a lot of times they're doing this, like, away from home, which yeah. I think is, like, a whole other, like, area that we could get into talking about. But I think in a ton of, like, European countries, you stay at home mm-hmm. while you're going to university or college. And here, like, a lot of times you're kind of, again, like, you feel like you're alone, but you have to always remember that your family and your friends are always there having your back. But I think it's important that family and friends also kind of like come up from the back and like support them as much as they can. And the obvious way is through prayer. Again, like there's so much discernment that's happening during these four years, whether you know it or not, I think you're going to graduate and you're going to look back, obviously be a blink of an eye and you're like, shoot, I'm such a different person than I was when I started. And I think that like transformative change can even happen those first couple months. Um, So I would also say to like family and friends to allow like your your friend or your child to have that freedom to change. I think, you know, you see it in um, all the divorces and James Martin. One of the reasons divorces are so prevalent is because people don't give people the freedom to change, but the core of that person stays the same. So yeah, when you come home for Christmas break, things are going to like feel different and you're going to be different, but it's going to be okay. And you're going to like keep growing as a person. And I think just family and friends need to, you know, stand by you and they know who you are at the core. I wasn't thinking about this till now, but also like hold you accountable while you add on, if you're changing in a way that maybe you shouldn't be. Yeah. Like, hold that person accountable, whether that's through weekly phone calls or check-ins or like whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But always like remind them of who they are and their dignity and worth as a person. This is the podcast explores the feminine genius. Can you talk a little bit about how did you discover more about living the feminine genius out during your time as a college student? So something we see at Penn a lot is lack of community. I think experiences in my college years as well, like hugely important and pivotal to find good friends. And I remember actually feeling like pressure because my older sister was at my university and um, 
she had a great group of people and my dad kept saying, you need to find good friends like she did. You need mm-hmm. to find good friends. And again, I was coming out of high school where I was like, ah, like I just right. spent four years at a place and like didn't make any friends. But thank God, like my sister helped me with it. Um, and I had to like kind of grow as a person and come out of myself a little bit. Yeah, finding the feminine genius through these like authentic friendships and like it takes time to build and I didn't find my group of friends until way into my freshman year like yeah. closer to the spring mm-hmm. um but I think yeah a lot of the conversations the late night dialogues um encountering people from different backgrounds and just realizing how diverse um like the Catholic woman is and it's not like a woman who embodies a feminine genius is like a cookie cutter like model right um so kind of just seeing like the diversity amongst them and seeing how they embody it um, almost like inspired me to uh, create the Young Catholic Woman, to like have a platform where like all these young Catholic women around the globe can use it to like share their words of truth. Carolyn, thank you so much for coming on the show. Listeners, if you're looking for her online, you can find her online at the youngcatholicwoman.com. Uh, she's the founder and an author of some beautiful pieces on there. You can find those also in the show notes, which I'll post on my blog over at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. Carolyn, thank you so much for your vulnerability and just coming on the show and just, yeah, striving for authenticity. Holy smokes, it shows, girl. You're Thanks absolutely for listening beautiful. to the show. Thank you so if you much love what Carolyn had to thank share, you. please take a few minutes and send this episode to a woman you know and love who's headed off to college here in the next week or two. Head over to oldfashionedgirlblog.com to check out the show notes for this week's episode, which include links to The Young Catholic Woman, where Carolyn writes, and the book recommendations that she gave during this episode. If you have a few seconds to spare, please rate and review Letters to Women on iTunes. The more rates and reviews a podcast has, the easier it is for others to find the show. And that's all I have for this episode, but until next time, be not afraid. Be not afraid.